So I was on, in the Maps app on my phone, and uh, Pandora, um, not Pandora. What's the, what's the what's the Panera Bread? I said Pandora. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Snob OS podcast, the podcast for Apple snobs. Yo, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech. And this is Nika Monfred, a.k.a. Tech Savvy Diva. And we're back with this week's episode of the Snob OS Show, the show for Apple snobs, where we talk all things Apple and then some. We want to thank you for joining us for another week. This is episode 176. So we do want to say thank you for hanging with us so long. As always, we want to send an extra shout out to our supporters, our Patreon our paid supporters. Uh, we would definitely want to thank you for supporting us financially. That keeps the lights on. Uh, if you want to be a Patreon supporter and join the snobbist community is what we lovingly call them. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash snob cast to watch the show live when it airs. So you get it a day early and get exclusive content that you will not hear on today's show. So speaking of today's show, We're going to get into the lowdown where we talk all things Apple. And uh, one of the things that came out of the WWDC keynote was a new feature called stage manager. And basically stage manager is a better way of handling and managing and uh, accessing all the different windows that you may have open on your Mac that has Mac OS Monterey and your iPad that has iPad OS 16. Both of those um, operating systems are not available now. They are available as public betas, uh, but we won't get those until later in the fall. So I was pretty excited because not only will I get Stage Manager on uh, Mac OS, but <laughs> I thought <laughs> I was going to be able to get it on my, I think I have a second generation iPad Pro. And according to this story that I'm looking at, um, I don't, we are not getting a stage manager on any iPad that does not have an M1 chip. So any iPad Pros before the M1 iPad Pros, um, the, there is a, a MacBook, I mean, not MacBook, an iPad Air that has an M1 chip in it, but uh, all that to say, folks like me will be upset. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be upset when iOS 16 drops because uh, we do not have M1 iPads. And according to the story in Cult of Mac, um, the reason why is um, Stage Manager needs the extra power of the M1 iPad. It allows them to s- display up to eight apps when connected to an external monitor. So uh, in order for it to work efficiently, only M1 iPads are capable of supporting it. So uh, for those of you like myself, I don't know if considering is the right word, but for a second, I actually contemplated, do I need to upgrade my current 11-inch second-generation iPad Pro to an M1 iPad Pro, uh, which are running roughly nine, eight hundred, nine hundred bucks. 
mm-hmm. uh, just to get this new stage manager uh, feature. So before I answer, I want to throw it to you, Nika, and ask, since you did mention you are uh, not in the camp to get this new stage manager feature on your iPad, would you consider upgrading to the M1 iPad Pro or an M1 iPad at all just to get the latest and greatest that comes to the iPad this fall? I would only upgrade if a new iPad Pro is released in the fall because uh, I've been I've been wanting to upgrade my iPad Pro anyway. So if they release a new iPad Pro this fall, then I'll definitely get that. But if not, I'll just have to use Stage Manager on my MacBook Pro and call it a day. Even though this is one of the features that I was excited about, um, yeah, I don't I don't see upgrading to a new iPad Pro just specifically for this feature. But again, if a new one comes out, then for sure. Right. Personally, as bleeding edge as I am when it comes to certain things, other things I am not. And surprisingly, my iPad is one of those things where I'm not all that concerned with bleeding edge when it comes to the latest and greatest. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I don't use my iPad enough to even justify upgrading to an iPad Pro in the fall when they announce a new one, even though mine is two, three, almost four years old. Mm-hmm. I literally just don't use it enough. I use it like I'm using it right now. And all I'm using it right now is to read the notes for the <laughs> show. I don't need an iPad <laughs> Pro to do that. You know, every once in a while I may play, uh, a game to pass the time. I may read some news using the Apple News app. You know, I may uh, browse social media, specifically Twitter, you know, when I'm sitting at my desk, you know, procrastinating from actually doing my job, right? right. <laughs> That's it. That's all I use it for. So it's like, um, even when, you know, like I said, the new iPad Pros come out in the fall, unless there's some crazy feature I just can't justify the cost right now. What I'm, what I thought about doing was to make my iPad pro feel brand new or give it a new feel mm-hmm. is to upgrade to that uh, magic keyboard that has the trackpad. Oh yeah. 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 But even that is like $300. And yeah. I'm like, damn, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for a keyboard. Yeah. Cause I <laughs> so, know when they, when they announced it, I was like, Oh my God, I gotta have this. Then when I saw the price tag, I was like, wait a minute, skirt, skirt, baby, I don't need it. Right. Because even, it is expensive. Yeah. So even though, uh, when I do use my iPad, I'm like really doing some work. Uh, I do connect my magic mouse to it. And that is, that lets me feel like I'm working more efficiently on my iPad, but that's about it. I'll probably stick with this old iPad pro with this, I do have the magic keyboard, but it's just the the keys. It doesn't have the trackpad. It doesn't have the USB-C charge and it doesn't have the the different viewing angles, all the things that come with that track on that uh, keyboard. Um, I'll just stick with this until the gas runs out. So <laughs> I just thought that was interesting and a little sad that one of the main features that I was interested in that came out of WDC, I only get that on one of my devices, which is better than none, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and especially since in the notes, it said it was compatible with 
all iPad Pros. And so when you see that, you assume that means that all the features will work, but they should have put a little asterisk there and put in that little caveat because it had a lot of people thinking that it was all the features are going to be compatible. Yeah. A little prefix, M1 iPad Pros. Yep, exactly. (laughs) All right. All right. So the next story we got is an Apple Pay Later. That was another uh, announcement that came out of WWDC. And it looks like we are learning a little bit more about all these features, uh, specifically Apple Pay Later. Everybody seemed to gravitate towards that as far as one of the highlight standout features. But there is, speaking of caveats, there is a little caveat to Apple Pay Later. Um, if you were looking to spend the big bucks to get you a super expensive MacBook or a super expensive iPad Pro with a magic keyboard and all these other things, uh, you will have a limit on how much you can spend using Apple Pay Later. So according to this story that I'm reading in iMore, um, you only be able to use up to $1,000 via the Apple Pay Later. And for those who don't know, Apple Pay Later is a feature that Apple announced that similar to Affirm, similar to PayPal Pay Later, or not PayPal. Yeah, I think they're doing something as well. But more of the popular ones is Affirm and Klarna. I think there's another popular one. But at any rate, similar to some of those other um, services, instead of you spending $600 at one time, uh, Apple Pay Later will let you split up the $600 purchase into four installments over six weeks. And as long as you make those installments on time, you will not be charged any interest or you won't be charged any uh, late fees. Uh, So, but that again, that's only according to this story will only Apple intends to only allow people to borrow a thousand dollars at most, even if their credit score is good and their Apple ID doesn't display a history of payment problems. So I just want to throw it to you. Uh, Is that a good idea to limit the buy now, pay later feature for somebody to, uh, I guess, protect them from going crazy or should, as long as your credit worthiness and as long as your Apple ID history is solid, you should be able to borrow however much you want to. I think the initial rollout of a thousand dollars is smart. Um, It does limit what you can buy. So pretty much uh, new iPhones are out. Pretty much laptops are out. Um, you can get peripherals. You can probably get, um, you can get an iPad. Probably. You get an iPad. You can get mm-hmm. a Mac mini. You can get like the over the ears. You can get, you know, AirPods and, you know, keyboards, those type of things. But the big ticket items that I most think most people thought they were going to be able to buy with this, it limits it. And I think it's smart, at least on the initial run. Because anytime anybody gets anything new, especially when it comes to money or access to money, people just just go overboard and just splurge. So I think Apple is being a little bit smart because they don't want to have to have all this extra debt on their balance sheets that isn't cleared because people didn't necessarily pay for the products that they had. So I think it's smart. I think Apple is probably more looking out for themselves than they are for the consumer because it does have implications for them if they have a whole bunch of people who default on their um, payments because not only does that affect the company bottom line, but it also is bad PR that could come back on Apple and say, you know, they are, they gave people too much, you know, Apple is putting all these people in debt, those type of things. So I think it's smart that they're doing it this way. 
Um, so I, I guess a thousand is a bit surprising. I would figure maybe 1500 so you could at least start to get some of the entry level laptops, but, um, maybe not. And I don't know if you can say, Hey, let me just pay now later on up to the thousand and then let me kick in the extra, you know, two or 300 or whatever. I'm not sure how this works, but, um, but yeah, it's, I think it's smart. Right. Well, I guess, you know, for that part that you just mentioned, I'm assuming my assumption would be that Apple said, okay, well, up to a thousand dollars is the buy now, pay later for installments. That's manageable. Anything above that, come on over to the installment plan, right? The Apple card or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, The Apple installment plan. I don't know if that's the same thing. Uh, Yeah. You can get an Apple card without doing an installment plan, but yeah, if you want to step up, there's other options. You need to graduate to the, you know, Apple installment plan. If you're getting bigger ticket items, that will enable you to spread out the payments over a longer period um, because the ticket price is higher and you get the same, you know, no interest. But I'm pretty sure what is attractive to the pay later is your credit history probably isn't as um it's probably easier to get approved for Apple pay later versus qualifying for an Apple card or the Apple installment plan on a MacBook on an iPad. That's over a thousand dollars. So I would assume again, Apple is saying, well, if you can afford $1,200 or more on an installment plan, your credit should be good enough to where you can apply for, you know, the traditional Mm -hmm. Apple card. Uh, we'll see how that rolls out. Like you said, uh, yeah, limiting people is probably a good thing. Like you mentioned, probably covers <laughs> Apple's butt just as much as anybody else's. So yeah. uh, another thing that came out as it relates to the Apple Pay Later, in addition to doing a quote unquote soft credit check, which you know is still debatable on whether or not that affects your credit history or not, but in addition to checking your credit to qualify for the Apple Pay Later, you will have to use your Apple ID. And Apple will check your Apple ID history to make sure that you don't have any sort of red flags, make sure you're square with Apple. But in addition to that, it's a form of fraud prevention, because Hmm. if you have to tie your Apple ID to this purchase, then there's less likely that somebody else will be able to use your identity, like just having your social security number just having your address, just having your date of birth. Those three things typically is all you need pretty much to steal somebody's identity. But with being able to use Apple Pay later, in addition to those things, you'll also need your Apple ID information. So adding all those things up, it seems like, you know, Apple is adding a extra layer of protection for people who may or may not try to use this not so legitimately. (laughs) Right, right. And because, you know, using the Apple ID, it does add a, another layer of protection because most Apple, I'm not sure if all, correct me if I'm wrong, but have to at least have the two factor with your Apple ID. And it's, a, you know, it's a little bit more involved and you have a little bit more protection with your ID rather than just, you know, just your regular email. Right, right. All right. All right. So that's all I got from that. Uh, the next story we got is... Um, Apple Clips, um, I thought was a pretty cool feature, but I've only been able to use it once because not all developers um, 
have built it into their apps and or services. So it's kind of been quiet. Um, I think the reason, well, according to Apple, the reason why a lot of developers have not jumped on integrating Apple clips into their apps and or websites is because of the small amount of storage space needed to actually successfully run Apple clips. Well, now that Apple is recognizing that a lot of people are uh, switching over to 5G, um, the ability to download a 15 megabyte Apple clip is much more feasible than it was Mm -hmm. before. So now that it's so easy, like for instance, I give you an example of how Apple clips come into play. Well, let me give you a back backup. Apple clip app clips are smaller um, mini apps that you can use to do services like order food. Like if you're walking around town and you need to get one of those electric scooters, mm-hmm. uh, pay for parking. You can use these app clips even if you don't have the app installed. So traditionally. If I were to get an e-bike and I saw one, I'd have to find out what brand the e-scooter is. I'd have to go to the app store and I have to download the app. I'd have to sign in, I have to create an account, got to link a credit card, do all these things before I can actually use the, the e-scooter. Well, with an app clip, you can scan the barcode or the QR code with your phone, with your camera. It'll pop up the app clip. It'll automatically let you use that e-bike and you use Apple, you use a Apple wallet to connect your credit card, which has your name, address, all the things you would need mm. to op- to create a, an account, right? So it's just a fast way to use those type of things. Well, So it's like for like an app if you only plan on using like one or two times. It's not something right. you want to commit to. Right, right. And uh, one of the ways I used it was uh, ordering food, right? So I was in the Maps app on my phone and uh, Pandora... Um, not Pandora. What's the, what's the, what's the Panera bread? I said Pandora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in maps. I was looking for someplace to eat and uh, Panera bread showed up in the area. And then in the maps app, it popped up a little window and said, open app clip for Panera bread. I clicked open. It showed me the menu. I was able to order a sandwich and actually pay for the sandwich takeout without even having to open app sign in, create an account, link a credit card, any of those things. So all that to say, I hope more developers utilize app clips. Um, but now it looks like, you know, some of the prerequisites or the restrictions that was stopping developers because of the small file size. Now mm-hmm. that more dev- uh, users are utilizing I, uh, 5G, the ability to download a 15 megabyte, megabyte app clip may be a little bit easier. So just wanted to put that out there because that's a personal, personal request of mine being able to use an app clip. So nice. All right. So that was going to do it for the lowdown. We're going to move into a uh, second string where we talk anything or all things tech in general it doesn't have to be Apple specific. So the first one I wanted to talk about was it looks like digital license plates are starting to take, take off specifically in Michigan they actually approve the use of digital license plates. Uh, It looks like, yeah, in Texas, okays for commercial use only. And if you're asking, well, what is a digital license plate? Uh, Well, basically what you can do is 
with a digital license plate, you can do things like being able to track a vehicle if it gets stolen, uh, the ability to dis- display warnings such as Amber Alerts. Like say, <laughs> this is crazy. I- I'm trying to assume that this is the way it works, but say for instance, you know, some person were to abduct a kid and they're driving in a vehicle that has a digital license plate, the warning, <laughs> the Amber Alert would pop up on the back of this digital license plate because the DMV could wreck it to, you know, uh, match it to the car and then automatically because it's digital pop up this alert that says, you know, whatever, <laughs> come get, get your kids. So now, so now I'm confused. So is it the warning that goes on all the digital license plates or is, so say, you know, I have a car and I abduct somebody. Will the, will my digital life, if I'm the one who took the kid and I have a digital license plate, will it say, I stole a kid, stop me? Or is it going to be just like informational for like other people who are driving that says? I, I the way I read it was the first one. You okay. know, if, you, if they can, if they, if they can confirm that you in fact have abducted somebody and they have checked your registration and you have a digital license plate, they can pull up this information to display on the back of your license plate. Mm. <laughs> in addition to, you know, being able to track your car if it gets stolen. Um, but the issue about uh, this license plate is it ain't free, which I mean, of course, I was regular myself. I thought free. it was going to be free. Uh, well, I, well, the way I thought it was, it was going to be built into my yearly registration. Mm, gotcha. So if I have a digital license plate every year. So you can opt in. So everybody doesn't get a digital license plate. You just opt in if you want one. Right. But that ain't even the way this works. Um, This digital plate has a subscription of, you know, that's the thing now of 20 to $25 a month to keep them connected. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's a nice little chunk of change. Right. Signing up for that. Right. When I was assuming it's going to be like, you know, 70, 80, a hundred bucks you know, on top of my, you know, uh, annual registration. Your they flat, want, yeah, it's including a flat fee when you register. Yeah, yeah, no, they yeah. want between $20 and $25 mm. a month. So I guess the question is, of course, we don't know all the features, the value add, but um, us being techies, would this be something you'd be interested in or would you um, let this pass until either more features are announced or when the price is down a little bit? Maybe if I have like a super expensive car, yeah, like maybe. a G-Wagon or like a Ferrari or something that, yeah, if I can afford that, then let me give this extra $25 a month so that if someone steals my car, it's more easily trackable. But those high-end cars have built-in tracking stuff anyway, so would you necessarily need it for that? So I think this is going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the idea. I definitely like the idea. Yeah. Um, but this implementation. Mm, yeah. It would, it would, yeah. it would have to be, I would want it to be more standardized to where it's connected to the DMV versus having to go to a third party to do that. Uh, definitely 25. And everybody, and everybody needs to get the digital license plate. It doesn't really help. If, if some people have it, people, some people don't. Yeah. Right, right, right. If you if you're abducting kids, chances are you don't have a digital license plate. No. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, 
I would like it to be more standardized, more implemented uh, across the board to where everybody's using it uh, versus it being, like you mentioned, a couple of people, which really won't help in the end. But I like the benefits, um, you know. This could definitely work. This could definitely be something, but they need to workshop it a little bit more. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, the second one I had, uh, I thought this was interesting because all the things uh, politicians should be worried about right now, um, it seems like some (laughs) senators, uh, specifically um, a couple of uh, Republican GOP uh, senators are upset that Gmail is sending all of their campaign emails to spam. Yeah. Uh, was... <laughs> Nobody wants that. <laughs> uh, according to Republicans, uh, there is a study that found that Gmail spam filter has a bias against GOP emails. And they went has, they're so upset that they have introduced a bill that seeks to stop email providers from automatically sending campaign messages to the spam filter, arguing that it's a form of censorship. Again, like I said- Do they know what censorship is? I don't think so. My thing is, all the things they should be worried about right now, censorship from some emails is probably least of their worries, but- Kids being murdered, people being murdered, no healthcare. They just sent a billion dollars to Ukraine, so- Right, this, but this this is a bill that they need to open up right right now, specifically- Uh, U.S. Senator John Thune, who's a Republican from South Dakota, brought up the issue in a press conference saying his les- his legislation would go after and prohibit major email providers from censoring or discriminating against political emails. The problem with this That's study stupid. is they cherry picked it. Of course they did. <laughs> and the study <laughs> specifically says that uh, it's possible users themselves were influencing Gmail's spam filtering algorithms by manually flagging certain campaign emails they Mm -hmm. receive as spam. Hence, Gmail may have been filtering out more GOP emails during the 2020 election because many users were tired of the campaign messaging. So basically what happened was everybody, regular people, was like, I'm tired of seeing all these emails. I don't want them anymore. Send them to spam. Gmail was like, oh, y'all don't like GOP emails? I bet you, right. We, you are training our algorithms to say, you know what? GOP emails are trash. (laughs) So all that to say, yes, I mean, across the board speaking, Google at the top shouldn't be like, yeah, we're going to turn down these uh, political emails, whether they be Republican or Democrat, whatever the case may be. (laughs) But at the same time, it sounds like Gmail is doing its job of saying, oh, you don't want these type of emails? All right, we're going to spam them because that's what you want, right? You would want. And that's the goal of AI is to learn human behavior and apply it. Right. Exactly. It's working. (laughs) So yeah. Don't hate the play. I hate the game. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So again, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird how, you know, you want things to work until it works against your favor. Now the whole exactly. thing is bad. 
<laughs> now, if this was on the other end, if it was Democrats being, you know, sent to spam or whatever, they wouldn't have a word to say, I'm sure. Right, right. And if they are, I mean, you know, I don't particularly, you know, like my email inbox flooded with political Jones. campaigns mm -hmm. in general because y'all only reaching out to me now because y'all want something from me. You want money and you want <laughs> votes. You want votes <laughs> and you want money. You don't want you don't want to help people in general. You're not asking you don't... how I'm doing. What right, can I right. do to help you? It's like I need you to help me. So yes. Right. You only want something. So I'm right. I'm sending yourself to spam. Every few years and at that. Right. You, now all of a sudden you care when you want right. me to do something. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. So that's all I had for uh, Second String. We're going to keep it short this week. Uh, we're going to move into For the Culture. Um, as the single person of the Snob OS podcast, mm -hmm. um, have you heard or are you aware of people on social media when they are, well, let me back up. Is it a thing for if you are dating somebody and your way of announcing that you are a couple, it ain't official until you post your partner on social media. Is that a, a thing or is just you inter naturally integrating them into your life. And since social media is a part of your life, you naturally integrate them into that. Or is it like, well, you ain't really, I, we really ain't official until you post me on social media. Is so yes and no, because there are a population of people, a large population of people that if you don't post them on social media, then you don't really go together. And then there's a smaller population that's like, Social media is trash and I'm not putting my business out there on front street like that. That latter part is a smaller group. Um, but yeah, that's, that is true. Okay. So this smaller, do you think that this smaller group of people that says social media is trash and I ain't putting all my personal business out there. Do you, can you see, or is it far fetched? that them not posting their significant other on social media may be doing them a disservice. So no. why you think about that? Mm -hmm. um, the reason why I brought all this up is because I saw this tweet and I'll just read the tweet. It says, my friend soft launched her man on social media and has already gotten seven. I come to you as a woman messages. <laughs> And basically come to you, I come to you as a woman messages is a short way of saying, Hey, your man who it's you claim <laughs> yeah, is my man too. And we've got a problem. <laughs> right. So yeah. having said, you know, uh, having given you the, the tidbit of you not putting your man on social media or waiting for a while, waiting for a long time could actually be doing you a disservice. This is what I meant. And okay. the term that, that struck me was they call it soft launching. That's absolutely a thing. Absolutely. All right. It's, so explain to the folks what soft launch, a soft launch is on social media. 
So a soft launch is you don't fully want people to know who your dude is or your chick or your person is. So you leave little breadcrumbs along the way because let's be honest, in this day and age, as soon as you claim somebody, they make you look stupid. <laughs> a lot okay. of times. That, it is that, like, is the, that is the, the, the threat, the, the, the downside. <laughs> right. It's like, as soon as I claim you, then you go out here and do something stupid to make me look stupid. And we're both just looking stupid. So the soft launch is, you know, you, you take a photo and you put like the little emoji over their face. Or, you know, you put um, like a your arm across his leg or something. So you're telling people, yes, I am in a relationship. I am dating someone, but you don't know who that is. And so once you get to the point where you're comfortable or you're ready to make the big reveal, you've already kind of primed your followers to know, yes, she is dating someone. Yes, he is dating someone. And this is who the person that they've been, you know, teasing us with these months. So it's, it's absolutely a thing. Um, and I know friends who never post, never will post, never give you any indication that they're dating anyone. Those people are me. I listen, if I ever do get married, you won't see, you won't know I'm even dating someone until, you know, the wedding photos come out and then those will come out several months later. So keep that in mind and also keep what you, in mind what you said is as soon as you post your person on social media, they do something to embarrass you, right? Mm-hmm. So the way I looked at this soft launch mm-hmm. was a lot of people replied and replied exactly what you said. They said, mm-hmm. um, social media is trash. Uh, you won't know who I'm dating until we get engaged or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So it's like a if you think of the traditional time frame timeline of a relationship you know when you're that serious about something that could be anywhere from nine months to two years right Mm -hmm. so imagine you've been with this guy you were taking talking about you specifically you've been with this guy you've been on dates you've gotten serious you may have shared keys you may have been on vacations it's gotten so serious to where you think or he's about to propose whatever the case may be when you, you get proposed, you finally put them on social media and then you get the, I come as you as a woman <laughs> message, right? So the, in my mind, the idea of a soft launch was let me put this person in my life early. Mm-hmm. So if I get the, that ain't just your man or that ain't just your woman, you find out sooner than later. So you kind of save your, it's, it's embarrassing. It's heartbreak anyway. Mm-hmm. But the way they explained it was, is better to soft launch them now versus <laughs> wait until later when you're on the aisle, down the aisle and somebody says, Hey, so instead of it just being three months or four mm-hmm. months, you know, now it's two years and y'all making future plans together. So right. that's, I thought that was interesting because, mo- because most women, well, let me not say most women. If I were single, I would not post my significant other on social media because I, social media is not that doesn't, is not my entire life. Social media right. is just part 
of my a life. Very small part, yeah. Right, right. So to use it as a uh, uh, a guidance on as to how I live my life, specifically how I date and who I date and when mm-hmm. I let people know I'm dating, mm-hmm. that is not enough of an importance, right? But after I thought about it, and I was like, well, since people use social media to find out about people and people have been exposed on Twitter and found out on social media, it's like, why not use this soft launch as a tool to find out if this person is my person because Mm -hmm. people are going to do what people are going to do. And as soon as you put their face, as soon as you give any details about anything, People even on the even on the snakes. soft launch, even when you do the soft launch, like who is that? Where I mean, it just it it starts, and for people like me, it's just a lot. Like, ooh, it's it's too much. But my thing is, this is a part of being an adult. Do your due diligences as much as you can, because I mean, there are some slicksters that you know you can do all the things and all the checks, and you can still get you know got. But this is where you. You have to be an adult about any type of relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's romantic, whatever the case may be. Do your due diligence to ensure as much you can that your person is your person. And the other thing to that is the people who live their full life on social media. And when I say full life, I'm meaning things that they want people to know. Not necessarily the real and true, but the the good stuff, the fun stuff, the people who post every single thing. They live and they die by this posting. And you can easily see when someone starts dating someone and when someone breaks up with one, with Mm -hmm. that same person, Mm -hmm. you got these certain kind of posts or you got, oh, I'm just so, I got smiles or the sun shining. I mean, you can tell when someone starts dating someone and when someone breaks up or that relationship ends based on their social media feed, if they are those type of social media people. So it's one of those things where you live in your life, you know, full out, you're posting everything, you're talking about everything. You have to, you have to recognize that social media is not, unfortunately, it's not just a game. It's not just fun times. It's people have gotten found out in a multitude, platitude of ways over different types of things, not just relationships, you know, business dealings, you know, harassments, those type of things. So it's just one of those things where you have to make sure your IRL, your in real life is, is up to snuff and is, is hitting all the key points when you try and take it to the virtual space. Right. Right. Um, I guess ultimately, I guess my thing would be um, if you, if you are, if you are depending on, social media to validate your relationship status, then you start off wrong. (laughs) Yeah. You probably do need to spend some time off of social media and do, like you said, take the time, put forth the effort to get to know somebody. But if the relationship is getting serious, then really put in the work and not depend on social media to say, Oh, this person is not who I thought they were, right? Right. 
Um, you should, know, you that. Are depending you should on know that by dating them. You should know that by dating them. You should know that by, you know, finding out about their family. You should know that their by friends, you know, learning their habits. Yeah. Right, right, right. But if you're not doing any of those things and just posting on social media, like here, you know, go find them or go, is this legit? Or um, as a validation of who you should be with, how you should right. be, you know, yeah, you probably need to do some more <laughs> in real life living because yeah. again, there are people like you mentioned that live their entire lives on social media. And I just think that's just unhealthy in general. Very much so. Because, you know, like you said, everything is content for some of these folks, everything. And I personally, if I was single, I flat out could not be with somebody who looked at me as a piece of content or used right. me as a piece of content. And you see it. I see it all day long on social media. They're using their, their boyfriends. They're using their husbands and wives and girlfriends, their kids. The kids and it's like dog, uh, everything. Yeah, yeah. Every, everywhere you go, everything you eat, everything you do, everything you wear. It's like how like, can you even enjoy the life because you're so busy trying to make sure that everything is curated to be on this app that's free, that's using your digital footprint to make money. Like, to make money off of you. You can't even enjoy it. There's no way you can. Yeah, I definitely. And especially because as soon as you post it, you're going back to see who commented, who liked, and, who and liked, trying to engage. And, it's like. And looking Jesus. at the analytics and should I post more right. pictures like this or should I? Yeah. And it, I, I would have, I could not. Ultimately, I could not date somebody. Uh, who lived their whole life on social media because first off I'd be like hey you know what I see you know you trying to hustle or whatever and you're an influencer or whatever the case may be I would appreciate it if I was from that content (laughs) right and then them as a social media influencer they were probably catching attitude well you gotta Mm -hmm. understand yeah and then it'd be it'd be a a, a constant conflict in the relationship Mm -hmm. because I'm like hey can we just Go to the movies and, and you, watch the in, the, movie. in the lobby. You know that would be a and constant. enjoy each other, and enjoy each other's company. That's why a lot of these things, you know, honestly go wrong because you're not actually in it for the company of the person. You're in it for you want you want to do the your content. vacation, your vacation, mm-hmm. you know, hashtag or you know get your a brand vacation. deal to go on a right, vacation. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, that's a lot. Exhausting. But I thought that was interesting for those, I guess, for those people who are in social media like that, I could see (laughs) putting them out there early because if you're going to do it, it's like you'll share uh, every little bit about you immediately. The time that it happens, as soon as it happens, right? Why are you all of a sudden when it comes to a significant other, you trying to hide or you trying to breadcrumb them or you trying to slowly indoctrinate them? No, put them out there early. Like all the rest of your content. <laughs> right. Like all the rest of your content. <laughs> all right. All right. So that's all I had about that. Uh, we're going to move into uh, the hookup where we give you any sort of tech news, any sort of tech tips or anything like that. Um, one of the companies that I use for smart home lights to turn on and off my light, lights using apps, using voice assistants, they went out of business. Oh. I'm lucky. I'm glad I didn't integrate my whole house with the system. I just used a couple of lights here and there, but I'm I'm glad I didn't because yeah, they went out of business. So I'm 
on the hunt to find another system to replace the lights I have and to expand. Eventually, I'm going to expand to other things, right? Um, I'm going to start with my bedroom, but one of the services, one of the uh, smart home tech um, tools that I'm actually going to use in my bedroom, and it's going to be my hookup, my hookup for the week is this brilliant smart home control. And basically what it does, it can replace a, um, it can replace a smart switch with like an LCD screen that's the size of a, uh, a home switch. And you can use the LCD screen to display all sorts of information. Hold on one sec. No, excuse me. Yeah. So it ain't cheap. I think the one that I picked was like $400 <laughs> and basically yeah, I'm what looking it, at them. Yeah, they are not cheap. It's nice. Uh, the reason why I picked it is because it integrates with HomeKit, which is what I'm using going forward with all the smart home things that I'm uh, integrating into the house. It's got to be HomeKit and I'm not messing with it. I'm getting rid of all my little Alexa and Echoes and all those things and I'm sticking with uh, smart home stuff. So uh, HomeKit rather. So this brilliant uh, tech control system said, like I mentioned, not only does it have an LCD screen where you can put all your lights and all your scenes and all your automations, it integrates with HomeKit, which integrates with all the other things that I integrate HomeKit with. So even though brilliant smart home tech may not interconnect directly with some other things directly, it uses HomeKit as the, uh, the middleman to make those connections. So I can use, for example, I can use this um, LCD screen to actually see who's at my front door, even though the smart lock or the smart doorbell camera may not connect with it directly. Since it integrates with HomeKit, I can set up the integration within HomeKit and actually put that display on this LCD. So imagine somebody's knocking at my door, the doorbell rings. Instead of me having to fumble around to find my phone, I can actually look. Uh, at this LCD panel and actually see who's there. And actually then if I have a, a compatible smart door lock, press a little button, unlock the door and let them in. So mm. that is my tip for the week. Uh, I definitely going to, it's a father's day gift. So <laughs> I'll be playing around with it for uh, this weekend. Once it gets here and install it. And I'll probably do a follow-up to let you all know if it's worth the money or if I have to find something else, <laughs> but that's my tip for the week. Cause I thought it was cool. And personally it fits exactly what I'm trying to do because in the place where I want it, I, I have a, um, two lights, two switches and a, for, for electrical folks, it's a two gang G A N G two gang outlet. So the cool thing about this smart home tech is not only does it have the LCD, but I can also add other modules next to it to where I can use the LCD on one side and I can put two dimmer switches that'll control my nightstand lights and my fireplace light in my bedroom. So nice. uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, it attracted me and it's home kit. So I'm not, I'm not picking nothing else to go in my house. <laughs> that's not home kit. It's not home kit because they'll go out of business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that is my tip for the week. Um, other than that, I think we are done with this episode. So, uh, Nika, tell folks where they can find you. If you've got any appearances, if you've got any other panels, uh, <laughs> that you're appearing in, let us know where they can find you. 
I am nowhere this week except for at my house and uh, at my parents' house for Father's Day. But you can follow me on all social media outlets. I am at TechSubbyDiva everywhere. You can pretty much find me posted up on Twitter um, for the most engagement. All right, all right. And you can find me everywhere at Brother Tech, B-R-O-T-H-A-T-E-C-H. And you can find the show everywhere. When we say everywhere, we mean on Twitter and Instagram and maybe Facebook Facebook? at (laughs) Cast. Um, definitely uh, connect with us. You can go to our website at snobboscast.com to get all the details, how to download the show, how to connect with us on social media. You know, if you want to send us a letter, you want to say thanks, you got some suggestions, you can do all that by going to our website. Like I mentioned, the website is snobboscast.com. And until next week, happy Juneteenth, happy Father's Day, and we are out. Bye, everybody.